morning. Today we have the privilege of hearing from a long time, but unfortunately soon departing member of our congregation, Paul Trimentosi. For those who know uh, or don't know Paul and Angie, they um, spent the first years of their marriage in pastoral ministry, followed by, and Paul, you can correct me if my timing is off here, 17 years roughly as missionaries in Spain, and then most recently, the last 12 years, they've been here in Springfield, which is why they've been a part of our congregation. Paul has been serving um, with an agency called AGWM, which is a missions equipping and sending agency, and he has served for 12 years as the regional director for uh, Europe, for the region of Europe, and he's overseen 450 missionaries in about 47 countries. So he's, I, I said this when Stephanie spoke, but Paul is kind of a big deal. But you would never know it. Um, and, and I say that um, as a compliment. Um, Paul and Angie are the embodiment of humility and grace. If you've spent any time with them, you, you know that. Uh, to be true, and I think that is expressed beautifully in their most recent transition that is getting ready to take place later this year. As they are leaving that um, position of notoriety and returning to missionaries in Spain, um, uh, serving on the ground once again in Europe. Um, so I have personally been blessed, um, Paul and Angie, by your friendship. Um, I know the rest of our congregation has been. So we want to welcome you. We are thrilled that you are willing to share with us. So, Paul, if you'd come. Well, thank the Lord. Let me have my wife stand in case you don't know her or you haven't seen her. She is definitely the better half, and it is such an honor to be with you. Um, really, it's, it's a bit overwhelming in some ways, and I'll tell you a little bit why. Because Angie and I wish to thank all of you um, for something that you would not have even known, but this beautiful community of faith right here in Springfield, you have been a house of refuge for Angie and I. You have been a lifesaver for us in many ways, and I truly mean that. Many of you may not even know that we have been members here for, for some years now, and I, I was actually surprised that we have been here for almost seven years. And that time has just flown by. And just this morning, Becca came up to me and introduced herself to me. <laughs> and I didn't know her name, and she didn't know my name. And I thought, you know, that's, it's embarrassing. But on the other hand, there's reason for that. One, we've traveled so much. And so we're, we just kind of float in and out sometimes. And the other part has been that house of refuge part. We just kind of needed to be ministered to. And um, sometimes when you're always up front, you, I think you can, I just see a lot of heads nodding, uh, you kind of just need to sit back sometimes and just receive. 
And uh, Pastor Matt and Nanette, thank you so much. Really, my heart goes out uh, in the deepest admiration and uh, gratitude for your wonderful integrity and how you lead us. Uh, you really are extraordinary people and extraordinary leaders, and I thank God for you, Austin and Hillary, Kevin and Courtney. Thank you for ministering to our souls in beautiful ways. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, and I know Angie feels the same way. We really, uh, we're in love with this church, and we're in love with all of you, and we're blessed with great leadership, so thank you so, so much. <clears throat> I also love this church because uh, so many of us are introverted. <laughs> I'd have you raise your hands, but I don't want to put you in an awkward situation. <laughs> But I also am a card-carrying introvert. You wouldn't know it, and I have to fake it up here, but Lord, my knees are still shaking, and I'm still wishing I could be just sitting in the bathroom counting the, you know, the, the leaves on the, the wallpaper, and you know, just the way it is, right, with us introverts. But it's been so cool to actually find a church where we all kind of understand each other. Our conversations tend to be short, sweet, but meaningful. You're always uh, allowing the other person to move on without becoming too awkward, although it's awkward right from the beginning, but that's okay. But it's life-giving. It's wonderful. Introversion is a good thing. It really is. God's made us that way, and that's not bad. That's a good thing. And lastly, before I jump into the message this morning, I want to confess something to you, Matt, publicly. I think confession is good for the soul. And, uh, but ever since I've come here and sitting under Matt's teachings, I have perceived a significant deficiency in my life. Now, I can't speak on behalf of all of those that are on the other side of 50. However, I suspect that you will understand what I'm about to share with you in my discernment. And that's when Matt makes these profound references to music bands, songs, movies, I confess I have yet to understand one of them. <laughs> I've chosen to find it delightful. And also, I have chosen to believe that these are references that have some kind of deep spiritual epiphany that I simply have not yet attained but with your patience and your help, I will try to arrive one day. There is hope. There is hope. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Austin shared a few weeks ago, and I, was, I, I just had a hard time not bursting out. He, he said he almost felt like Pentecost was coming over him, and he was going, do you remember that? And he was going to have a Pentecostal moment, and I, I just thought that was so great, and uh, it kind of helped me this morning because I want to kind of, before I get into the message, let you know that um, I, I want to apologize beforehand, but I may have an Italian moment. I can hardly speak without using my hands. Having a microphone in my hand is difficult, you know, because if you hold my hands still, I can't even speak. So, you know, I have that, that southern Mediterranean, I'm a little bit emotional, and I'm going to try to keep it cool here this morning. So just bear with me and pray for me. So often uh, when I share, of course, I'm sharing about missions, 
And I love missions. I, I love the Great Commission. I love the heart of God who has the heart for people everywhere. And I've had an extraordinary uh, life to be able to see much of the world, especially in Europe, and to um, ask the Lord to help us to somehow do our part and touch people's lives and missions. And uh, Matt asked me, he said, you, you can speak on whatever you want to. And I thought to myself, I, I'm not going to speak on missions. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It's not because I don't love missions, but I felt like there was something else on my heart. And uh, I'm always amazed how God orchestrates um, what he shares with, with his children. And I feel like there's been kind of a, a, an even stream that uh, I think you'll see as we, we share this morning a little bit on the message. But it, it does have a, um, a missions aspect that I think, I hope that you will appreciate. So let's start, if you don't mind. Father, just help us this morning. I pray that your word would come forth and that you would be blessed and that we would be encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm asking my friend Mark back there. Thank you, my brother. So I've got two quotes that I want to start with this morning. And uh, the first one comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says this. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or don't do, and more in light of what they suffer. That's a great statement. That's a hard statement. The second one comes from Psalm verse 116 and verse 5. It says this, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. So I want to talk to us about suffering and compassion this morning. Compassion that heals. Taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. A wonderful story that I know you're all familiar with, but let's just go into it a little bit. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't Then he went up and he touched the buyer. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people and this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What a story. Can you imagine? Can you place yourself in one of those two converging uh, processions that were uh, happening at that moment? They're taking this, this corpse out of the city as the law, law required. And Jesus is entering the city. And his heart goes out to this widow. 
intense compassion is showed by Jesus. This woman is having penetrating pain, and, and as is typical in the Mediterranean culture, they would bury the body the very same day that they died. So the person dies, you've got one day, and that loved one is buried. That's pretty tough. So this woman's pain is raw, it's new, and Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her. Now we all know that Jesus often breaks uh, social uh, and religious taboos fairly regularly. And I think there's a place for that when it's done in the interest of love and compassion. As Jesus here does the very thing. It is illegal to stop a funeral procession. That's first thing you don't do. Second thing is you never touch the coffin or the buyer, the place where the corpse is laid, you never touch a dead person. So Jesus is breaking all the rules, all the norms. Can you imagine what's going on here? So Jesus then sees the woman, tells her to stop crying. Have you ever tried to tell someone who is in deep pain not to cry? That's pretty weird right there. Don't cry. Then he turns and he looks at this. We don't know how old this child or son, maybe adolescent, I, we don't know. Some of, of the versions says young man. Uh, but the only son, we know that. And looks at the corpse and speaks to the corpse. And this dead corpse comes to life. And then Jesus reunites them with him, with his mother. I, I, I just, in my mind's eye, think, what would I think in that moment? What would I, how would I react? How would I respond to seeing something so miraculous? And I'm sure that, according to the text that we just read, it must have conjured up the only other time in their religious experience, in their history, uh, that something like this happened, which would have been Elisha and the raising of the, the widow's son, if you remember that story. And so they recognize that because immediately they cry out, a prophet is among us. So clearly they must be recollecting this story. And they certainly recognize and say, God is among us. So the difference here, though, between Elisha or any other prophet and what Jesus does here is a very subtle difference. One is the prophet would usually pray for the need, to pray to God, and the need or the miracle would take place. But this time, this prophet speaks to the need, speaks to the corpse, and he's resurrected. So clearly this is more than just a prophet. I want to remind us of an Old Testament verse here in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19. Moses was asking God if he could see his glory. Do you remember that story? He wants to see his glory. And the Lord said to Moses, so this is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord saying, revealing about himself. And the first things that he wants Moses to recognize are found in this verse. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. The Lord 
in your presence, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. How interesting it is to me that when the Lord reveals who he is, the very first things that comes from him to Moses to identify who he is is goodness, mercy, and compassion. That's how he highlights who he is, even in the Old Testament. He chooses to reveal himself that way. And I think that's important for us. It's helpful, I know, for me. Now, I'm going to go, because Matt teaches at Evangel. You still teach at, e at uh, HETS? So I want to give a little scholarly piece here just for Matt's sake. Let's talk about classical theology, right? Can we do that just for a moment? Only because it's important to this message. There is in classical theology, and it's still there very much, there is a thing called impassibility. Impassibility is saying that God doesn't have emotion. He has no pathos. He has no passions as such because he's God. Early believers thought that way because they saw emotion as kind of a lack of control. Or that if you had emotions, then somehow your character changes. If you get emotional, you're changing. And God can't, certainly can't be that way. So he's impassable. He has no pathos. And Jesus, we know, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus is that way, certainly God is that way. Because if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. Therefore, Jesus also must be impassable. I don't like that. Here I am, the emotional Italian in front of you. I can't identify with that. I don't like that in the least. In fact, and I'm a nobody, but I think it's wrong. And who am I? But I'll tell you why. There was a lot of Greek philosophy that did enter into early Christianity. And I think this is one of those places where that early Greek influence really impacted some of our classical Christian theology. These early believers were still highly influenced by Greek philosophers. And I think this is one of those areas that um, was causing the church some uh, confusion. Plato says this, that which is perfect cannot be changed. Impassable. That which is perfect, God is perfect, cannot be changed. And that argument is repeated over and over in Christian theology and tradition. And so I've already said to you, I contend that it's wrong. I think it's poor theology as scripture does not bear that out at all, as you know. Neither does our human experience. If you and I are, are in a crowd together and we're fellowshipping and it's a beautiful day and we're coming into a town and, and everything is just wonderful, we're enjoying life, and all of a sudden a procession a funeral procession is coming out and there's a child of a widow of a person that we may know and we're listening to that wailing and that pain that she is experiencing and we don't have emotion, then something's wrong with us. 
Would you not agree? This woman is in profound, agonizing emotion because her child was dead, and she's already a widow. Man, if you don't have an emotional reaction to that, then you're already dead. God is certainly unchanging in his character and his attributes. But to suggest that God doesn't have or experience emotion is not what we experience in Scripture. In Scripture, he is full of passion. He's full of joy. He gets angry. He experiences grief. He dances. He claps his hands. My goodness, he's more Italian than I am. He's very emotional. And scripture tells us we are made in his image. That I can identify with. I like that. Now I do understand that it's, it's dangerous and unwise to allow our emotions to control us. Our emotions to make our decisions for us. That's unwise. But when we are reflecting his image as emotional beings... Deep with compassion, especially, I believe we're honoring God. I believe we're looking like our Father. Amen? It's such an illogical argument to call God impassable or without emotion because he doesn't change when the truth is that Scripture tells us of the greatest change that's ever happened. And it says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What greater change, what more drastic change than that to go from glory to the human being? Are you with me? Wow. The word became flesh. Talk about change. It's the most essential change to our salvation. So Jesus clearly experiences constant emotion. And Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God has lots of emotions because Jesus had lots of emotions. And here, in this story, Jesus shows very appropriate emotion when he comes upon this child and this widow. There's an interesting word in Hebrew for the word mercy or compassion, it's rachamim. Now that's spoken from an Italian guy who knows Spanish and have no clue if I said that right, so all you Hebrew people just go easy on me here. But rachamim, and I know it's guttural, so I'm giving you the It refers, listen to this, to the womb of Yahweh. The womb of Jesus, the womb of God. In uh, Henry Nouwen and McNeil and Morrison, they wrote a, a small book called Compassion, a Reflection on the Christian Life. They have three uh, quotes that I'm going to give you. I'll give you the first one here. It says this, Indeed, compassion is such a deep, central, and powerful emotion in Jesus that it can only be described as a movement of the womb of God. Isn't that beautiful? movement of the womb of God. So this woman had already lost her husband and now her only son. And in that culture, if you study that culture, you will find out that for a woman to not have any male covering 
meant that she would almost certainly be destitute. You are almost certain to be doomed to the street or as a beggar or as a prostitute. Her future was terrible. Very glim and dim for sure. And worse than that, and worse than that, and unfortunately we have, I hear, similar theology. The theology of that day was understood that when tragedy happens, it's because God is punishing you. So you can imagine all the friends and neighbors and those that are, are, are watching what's happened to this woman. This woman, in her mind, she's thinking, everybody out there is thinking that I've done something wrong. I've sinned. And those people are running around thinking... Man, what did she do? What must be going on in her life? Wonder why God's punishing her. How painful is that? So when Jesus meets this woman in her time of grief, Jesus makes sure that she knows what God is really like. I love this. He was feeling her pain. He was in solidarity with her. He did not judge her in any way whatsoever. And it was very clear at the end of that time that God was not punishing her. He raised her child from the dead. Wow. The lengths that Jesus goes to show that that stuff is not true. That Jesus' heart was full of compassion and mercy for her. He was in solidarity with her. God's heart was breaking for this woman that she had lost her child. He's, his heart was breaking for the fact that she had already lost her husband. His heart was breaking for the fact that she was experiencing so much marginalization and judgmentalism. And his heart was breaking because this was not how he designed it to be. But it is. I've experienced too many times many dreadful results from terrible theology. And it breaks my heart over and over again. In our evangelical American circles where we are so quick to judge the world around us because we feel somehow that our rightness of knowing Jesus somehow exonerates us from having to show genuine compassion to those who don't know him because they don't look like us, because they don't have the same sexual or orientation, because of the clothes or tattoos or whatever it is that they may wear. We've never, never been given the authority or the role to judge anybody in the world. Nobody. It's not ours. We are saved by grace through faith. And it's a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. Lest we boast. We're saved by God. We're no better than anybody else. Hmm. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. So pull myself back here. But the pain that we've seen. Because of bad theology. Lord help us. Help us all. Amen. But I feel a need for us to grab hold of this compassionate heart of God. Think about this. God loves perfectly. 
God's love is perfect. He loves us all as if we were the only ones created. If I do believe that if I was the only one created, he would come and die on the cross for me. And it's the same way for all of us here. I believe that. I see that in how he shows his compassion. That's what Jesus is feeling for this woman in this moment. Full parental compassion. Now, how many of you parents here have had to tell your child something very, very painful? I remember when we had first moved to Spain, we couldn't have been there very, very long. And, you know, your children are trying to get settled in a new culture and trying to learn things. And, and as parents, you're most concerned for your children. And so I remember my middle son, uh, David, he had made some new friends and it was starting to happen for him. He was starting to, to get involved in the culture and he was feeling good about life and, and, and it was so refreshing to us.
church. You're my, you're my home here, so I'm going to be just super transparent. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to deal with that sometimes. Um, I, even now, and I believe in Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, and I mean, give my life for this. I know, I know him. I love him. He loves me, and we walk together. But I want to tell you, I have a lot of questions. I have had a lot of questions. And, I, and I, if you're like me in this way, you must ask, how could an all-loving God allow such nightmarish things to happen, the problem of evil? But on a very personal level, I, I, I feel that I see that at times. How can a God who is supposed to be compassionate and mercy, uh, merciful allow what we all see in the tragedy of things like human trafficking around the world? How can there even be a God? And then I, I, I flip over to the other side and, and, I, and I think of the incomprehensibly beautiful beautifully created universe and I'd say to myself I mean you've got to be an idiot not to think that there's a God I mean to doubt that there's a God have you seen those new pictures of the what's the what's the new um, telescope that they have now have you seen those pictures of the universe oh my gosh every time I see it I, I just want to worship the Lord it's amazing what God has done and then I'd flip back over the other side and I would think Pain and, and poverty and, and suffering and disease. There can't be a God. And then you go to the other side and you think, what art and beauty and, and the innocence of children. And there must be a God. Are you as wacky as I am or is this just me? War in the Ukraine right now. My heart is going out to those people that are being bombed today. What sense is that? There is no sense to that. And in all my waffling back and forth, I get to a place where I have to look at the one that I believe in and I have a question or I have a statement. And who am I? But the only way that I can fully buy in and bet my life on your existence is if I'm sure that you feel what I feel. Only if you are somehow on the inside of what we feel can I see the authenticity and the truth of who you are. And I believe that God likes it when we speak to him that honestly. I do. I do believe that, as uncomfortable as that is. Because I have found in my own life that when I carefully stop and listen to his response in my spirit... I hear him say these words. What do you think the cross was all about? The cross shows our God diving into the hell of humanity. God jumps into solidarity with humanity and all its suffering. Christianity is the only faith whose God does that. Our God is not above entering into the pain of our existence. He could have stayed in glory 
He could have just created and left. But he chose to dive in head first, thus showing us indeed he is a compassionate, all-merciful, self-sacrificing, all-loving creator God by and through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a great quote from uh, now and again on this I want you to see. Did not the blind see and the lepers become pure? The paralyzed walked again and the widow see her son come back to life? Listen to this. Is that not what counts? Is that not what proves that God is God and he really loves us? Let us be careful with our pragmatism. It was out of compassion that Jesus' healing emerges. He did not cure to prove, to impress, or to convince. His cures were the natural expression of his being, our God. I have been challenged over and over again in the circles of which I have walked in the ranks of the church leadership today who would advise us all to pray above everything else that more miracles would happen. Because surely if more miracles happen and more healing takes place, the world will turn around for him. But I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Here's a last quote from this book. I love this. The mystery of God's love is not that our pain is taken away, but that God first wants to share that pain with us. Out of his divine solidarity comes new life. The great mystery is not the cures, but the infinite compassion which is their source. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in miracles. Please don't get me wrong. When, when, when Angie went into the hospital this week and was sick, my gosh, my Angie and I were praying like crazy that God would raise her up. I'm so glad to see you here in church. And I just pray God would completely heal you. I do. I believe in that. I believe in miracles. I've experienced miracles. I have seen miracles. But I don't always see miracles. And I always question why I don't always see miracles. But I know it's not miracles that's going to change this world. I don't believe that at all, as much as I will continue to pray for them. I believe more miracles of healing will not change the world, but rather the solidarity between Jesus and his children, sharing in the compassion and suffering through the proclamation of the message of the cross that we read about already this morning, the message of the cross, that has the potential to touch and change the world for him. If we're moved by compassion, when we see the suffering around us, how much more does this perfect, loving, omnipotent, omnipresent, and perfect God enter in with people who are suffering? We are imperfect lovers. God is the perfect lover. What must he feel? I pray that you do something that I've learned over these last few years that has been so helpful to me, and that's to use my imagination in prayer. 
I believe God created our imagination, and it's a good thing. I know the enemy always wants to take that which is good and turn it to evil and use the imagination in bad ways, but I want you to encourage you to use it in a good way. And that is, let Jesus walk into your imagination when you pray. Let him come in and sit with you. See that in your mind's eye. It's a beautiful thing. And as I read this story and come to a conclusion here this morning, I can see Jesus in my mind's eye wailing in grief as he comes to this woman. And then I see him stop and say, okay, let's not cry anymore. I don't think Jesus just walked in and said, get up. I don't think it was like that at all. I think he enters into solidarity with her in that moment. And I've watched him do that in my own life, and I've watched him do that in so many other people's lives. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a healing thing. And I see Jesus coming into all of our lives. I see Jesus on the inside feeling everything that we feel. And it is because of this fact that healing can come into our lives. Healing on a larger level than just a momentary piece of healing. His compassion knows no limits. And he can restore us because he's in solidarity with us in every possible way. I can imagine in my mind seeing Jesus come into tragedy in your life and in my life. And I see him crying with us. I see Jesus always being there. He doesn't promise that bad things won't happen to good people. But he does promise that he'll never leave us. Nor will he forsake us. We are not alone. He was there when you lost your child. He was there when you were depressed. He was there when you made all those bad choices that caused terrible realities. He's there when you experienced all those accidents and injustices that you didn't even cause. He is there. He is there. He is there. He's always there. And we have to know what he's like. First thing, I will have my goodness pass by you. And I will have mercy on those who I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on those who I'll have compassion. And I proved it by dying on the cross. Psalm 116. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Amen.